Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Owen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, February 6, 2022. Hey everyone, I'm John Vanderveld. Hi, I'm Simone Helpin. And I'm Kelly Brady. Welcome to all the listeners of the Next Level. Good morning, everybody. Hello. How are we doing? How are we doing? Great. Yeah. Good, good, good. Not bad for a Monday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once again, no Starbucks. That's two weeks in a row. Just Mm -hmm. point that out. (laughs) (laughs) Back to the tea. Still (laughs) trying hard to like it. (laughs) Are you trying to like tea? I'm trying. Did I miss that discussion? Yeah, I mean, just... Caffeinated or non? Non. I'm thinking caffeine's giving me headaches. Really? I know. Usually it's the lack of the caffeine that gives the headache. I'm in trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, actually, I mean, caffeine dilates um, the vascular system, right? Well, and I think I have like a, if I have too much, I start to get, or too late oh, in the yeah. day, that yeah, kind of thing. Fair. Yeah, so not cutting out caffeine, <laughs> let's not get crazy. <laughs> I'm just trying to <laughs> scale it back. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. man, I was super encouraged um, yesterday in second service. I just wanted to point this out. Um, the singing for, in particular, for... Um, uh, oh, come to the altar mm. was just fantastic. And do you know who the loudest section was? Mm. Tell it me was, the students. It was the students. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, they were fun. like, cool. I could hear, I could hear them in our ambient room mm-hmm. mics, and mm-hmm. it was like, oh wow, because they they sing this song quite yeah. a bit, yeah. you know. And this know is it. a song that I think is dear to their ministry, and um, they were so loud. We just kind of camped out there for a minute and just and just sang. It was really sweet. Yeah, it, I thought it was really cool. Blessed me a lot. I hope everyone else. Mm-hmm. felt that blessing mm-hmm. in it. You know? Yeah, I thought you were like authentic moment of just <laughs> taking a minute and saying, let's just hear voices. Was that cool. was really cool. It yeah. was cool. So thank you, student ministry. You guys carried us in that. You led us right there. That was really sweet. Mm-hmm. So we, today, we have a lot of questions. Um, and, you know, they, they get um, a little personal at times. Um, we're going to do our best to answer these questions and to dive into the hard topics, right? Because that's, that's what we do. Yeah. And right? we're going to try that's, and do it under three hours. That's the value, really, of the podcast. Yeah. We the next it. level. Yeah. I mean, we're gonna, uh, all these questions are, are they fair game? And man, I, I appreciate the honesty and the directness in these questions. Yeah. And, and uh, I appreciate that you left them in here. <laughs> I mean, come on. There's some questions that some people might ask that we may say, yeah, we're not going to go there. Like, I don't well, think and these sometimes questions we edit are... questions for space and time. Right, and, right, right. And, and that's happened today because there are just a lot of questions. Sometimes we blend questions. True. But, you know, questions that appear that, you know, when people want to know the heart of leadership, that's really the value added here. So we're trying hard at that. Yeah. I'd also say, um, too, that um, we want to deal with questions that are challenging and push us and we wrestle with and, and want to learn from and grow from, um, we, have, we receive qu- questions can, also, can often feel challenging, but we also receive a ton of support and encouragement. Yeah, and, people have been sending in yeah, just like, kind of the, the cheerleading. Hey, like I, Keep up the good work. You guys and, aren't perfect, but thanks for doing this work. You know, that yeah, kind of stuff. heavy lifting. We yeah, appreciate and, it. and mm-hmm. encouraging and, endure, and yep. supporting mm-hmm. and all those kinds of things. And those rarely make their way. Yeah, we don't. Mm-hmm. So what, what my caution is, is like, wow, that's a lot of hard, heavy mm-hmm. questions. 
the church is really mad or something like like I just because there's that's not necessarily yeah, that. an accurate representation of mm-hmm. how I do, I think the world is. is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that a fourth week on racial justice issues um, was hard. I think it was uniquely hard. Potentially more of the church is questioning than normal, but yeah. 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 So and, I just want to be fair, and that's that is in, uh, clearly seen in the questions, um, and. And so we're eager to address that. But you're right. We, we have received a lot of just cheerleading. Mm-hmm. Just keep up the good work. We know it's heavy lifting, that type of thing. So yeah. we're not discouraged. Uh, we're work- I am working really hard um, and not working perfectly, but diligent. I've, I don't labor <laughs> under the, the burden of perfection. That's good. Uh, I do highly value diligence. And so I'm, I'm working really hard and... And these questions are part of that work. I feel like you, you. I feel like in the years I've known you, you value direct honesty as well. Yeah. You don't yeah. like to beat around the bush, or you know, you don't. Yeah, like I to... don't do political real well. I don't, yeah. and sometimes that serves me well. Sometimes that doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, right. Mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I prefer kind of just the straightforward, yeah. which isn't to say I don't want to be gentle. I want people to be gentle with me, and I want to be gentle with others. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a hard topic. So if you're not getting good feedback positive and negative, then maybe it would be a reflection of maybe you're not doing a good job talking about it. So mm-hmm. the fact that you're getting such feedback to me says, oh, you're, people are hearing you. You're, you're helping people wrestle yeah. through this. I think you're onto something there, Simone, but I wouldn't, it's not as simple as, it could also be that, that I'm unnecessarily rocking mm-hmm. the boat and I want to be mm-hmm. sensitive to that. Yep. So I, I like to say, um, Truth can alienate. People can say no to the truth and they mm-hmm. can be put off by the truth or I can alienate when speaking the truth. And I need to, we all need to uh, exercise discernment in, gosh, did I just alienate them? Did the truth alienate them or did my posture alienate them? Yeah. So that's a good question. We need to, all right. That's a huge setup. <laughs> yeah. So let's, yeah, we're going we, to, we've baited people enough here. Well, <laughs> what exactly are the questions? All right, here we go. We're going to take it to the nexter level. Next. <laughs> all right. Uh, first question. Since Kelly's return from sabbatical, a lot of the sermon applications have dealt with race, particularly black-white racism. It feels like Kelly is still on a personal journey on this topic. It feels like Kelly journeying and wrestling is being done in the pulpit. Is that the case? What is going on with Kelly? Okay, it's what my kids ask all the time. What is going on? (laughs) Okay, again, I appreciate the honesty, the directness, and the question. I welcome the dialogue. These types of questions offer tremendous potential for our community of faith. It's why we started the podcast. If I had to answer this type of question every week, I'd be concerned. I'm thankful that (laughs) that this type of question doesn't come in every week. But I know that, as Simone said, this has been a, it's a challenging topic. Mm -hmm. So to the question, what's going on with Kelly? I would say, yes, I am growing on the issue of racial justice. I hope that I'll continue to grow by the Holy Spirit's care of me. I've been growing on this topic for the last couple of years. And it's a great joy of mine to share areas of growth with the congregation. In fact, this isn't the first time that the Spirit has worked in my life to move me toward greater maturity, and I hope that continues. I remember how the Spirit grew me in my understanding of an activity in prayer a couple years ago, and I believe that there was or has been great fruit in my life and in the church as a result, and I'm trusting in the Spirit on this topic as well. I remember 
the first time we began talking about fasting at Glenwood Bible Church, I had to actually produce an FAQ sheet on fasting. There were so many questions about it. In fact, there was significant pushback at that time. Someone said, it sounds like Kelly is saying we have to earn the right to be heard by God by fasting. So there was a lot of um, resistance to fasting as kind of a merit-based discipline. And so it took a long time for our congregation to process that. It took, took a lot of work. And so, at, so, yes, I'm growing. That growth is reflected in the pulpit. At the same time, I know that it, it is unfair to use the pulpit as a platform for personal catharsis. That's, uh, gosh, I hope that's not happening. Um, I'm certainly trying to avoid that. What I'm sharing in the pulpit are perspectives on which I've landed and positions I believe are important to share with the church regarding issues of racism. Let's be honest, there's a tension in every preacher's life between making himself vulnerable to the flock and avoiding making it about himself. Every preacher must admit that the pulpit ministry involves them to a degree and it involves their personal journey, but it's not actually about them. In fact, I, I hear all the time, there was a season when people said, Kelly, you need to share more of yourself. And, and frankly, right now I'm getting the feel that you need to share less of yourself, Kelly. Back in the... <laughs> Back in the There's box. a medium, you know. <laughs> I remember one of the first times I preached as senior pastor um, in 2004-ish, 2003-ish, someone met me at the bottom of the platform. I had just come out of the pulpit and, and encouraged me, oh, don't talk about depression, your personal mm. depression. That, that's too much. That's, that's unfair uh, to the congregation. So, you know, there is a tension between appropriate and inappropriate vulnerability. Uh, ultimately, this is, it's to, the pulpit ministry is about Christ and his church. I'm doing my best to handle that tension. Yeah. Can I offer no. a little, and, and feel, we can feel free to remove this if it isn't helpful, and you can edit that out if we actually keep it. I edit nothing today. <laughs> um, the way that you, as a person, and you, you're one of my closest friends, I, I love you, Come I here. care for Aww. you Come here. immensely. I retract the, the edit the way, the way, <laughs> The way that you learn, process, and implement uh, is can be very very powerful. Like it can it can take a group of people and 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 really, um, I mean it can it, like the prayer stuff you're talking about. It's changed our church mm. in a very powerful way. Fasting it's changed our church. Some of the other things that we that you have miraculous you have gifts. Lear- I hope you have yeah you have learned about and experienced and done the work on and then implemented in the church have, has been amazing. If you find yourself behind on a, a topic or feel like you're, you need to learn, man, dude, you deep dive. You go really deep and you learn, you read, you process, you, you traveled the country on your sabbatical yeah. to learn questions. on this issue, yeah. to ask questions. You visited, what, 18 yeah. different churches on this issue. Man, you go really, 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 really deep. And then it impacts a lot of, uh, understandably, who, who you are. Uh, to your and, point, John, I hope it's a comfort that it was an 18-month simmer. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, what can be challenging, and I think 
some of what we're experiencing is that you can't not still be in process on some of these things. And at the same time, we're realizing that not everybody took the same dive. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's fair. And, um, And so there is going to be just by the nature of who you are, how you learn, how you grow, and how you implement, like you, you can get relentless on something. And, uh, and that can cause some friction. Yeah, we're not all at the same place. We're not all at the same place. There's lots I of- I had somebody ask me recently, Kelly, do you love the congregation? <laughs> and that, that hurt. Um, I do. Without a doubt, I love the congregation. There, and there is, I will say that I feel particularly on this issue it is, it is a difficult one. It has different um, nuances. It has different struggles. It has different misunderstandings than prayer. Well, let's be honest. Than, than fasting. Let's be honest. The broader culture is not debating fasting. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we should not be surprised um, by where, uh, you know, by these kind of questions. What's going on with Kelly? Um, and we can't just dismiss them, but we need to, we need to recognize like, man, you, um, it, it's, it's challenge. The, the way that we, uh, we all learn on this issue and the way that we're, the way that we engage with this issue is unique for each and every person. And so, yeah, I think too, you know, there's a growing process that goes on, um, for every preacher in terms of how do, how do cultural issues intersect with the text? And if we aren't doing the work of the, the kind of the famous, you know, phrase, I think it was uh, Barth, right? Yeah. I get Barth sometimes mixed up with... It was Carl. Other, Carl. Yeah. Um, Carl said you should have a newspaper in one hand and the, and the Bible in the other, um, meaning you shouldn't be blind to what's going on in, in culture. It should, in, should be informing you and, and the scripture should be uh, informing how you read the, the, the newspaper and, and those interact sorts of things. Interact with and current they, events. Yeah, and how you interact. And so I think we have tried to, I know I have personally, and I, and I believe you have as well, Kelly, to, to not mishandle the text and make every application that we're talking about over the, <laughs> the course of however long about race. Like that, right? Like that's yeah, not yeah. the, that's, that's not what we're doing. We don't want to mishandle the text. I would also say that there are cultural issues going on, in particular around the idea of race, that have been very intense over the last two to three years. Very intense. And you throw COVID and mm-hmm all the divisions that are around COVID. So we've got divisions around COVID. We've got divisions around race. We have divisions around politics that we need to all recognize. These are very... um, Financial turmoil. Mm -hmm. They they are very difficult. We are at a unique spot Mm -hmm. in our country. Mm -hmm. The discourse around those things has not always been uh, God-honoring. It has not always been helpful. And so there's some difficulty that that the country itself and every person that is in is is here is is wrestling with and is dealing with and is seeing divided in schools on education divided i mean there's lots and lots of division and lots of 
of people are saying that that is really difficult for the church, mm-hmm. that the church has, the church globally has had a difficult time, has, has been in a very difficult season because of these divisions in the church. And we have talked at, a lot about that here on the, on the podcast, you know, and I've offered some other references and things that, you know, people are, are kind of expressing this. There's been articles that have come out that have written about it. And so we need to be honest that, that um, those issues impact the, the leadership of Glen Allen Bible Church. Like we have carried, I don't, I'm not, I'm thinking of you, Kelly, over the last few years have carried a lot You've, you've carried a lot to, to deal with these issues personally in your life and then to lead a church who is wrestling and divided on these issues. So um, my point in bringing this up is, um, is um, what's going on with Kelly? <laughs> well, what's, what's going on kind of with all of us, right? Like there's a lot that's going on. John, I think you make a great point and we need to be patient with each other and... Um someone brought up at the Sunday evening next level discussion, we had what was basically a a dialogue. Someone shared that they thought that the series was poor timing because so much has been going on. And and I don't blow by that. Uh, This person said that... It might be a very fair comment, right? Yes. (laughs) And I listened to that and I I, I said, okay. um, You know, shepherds need to, to understand what what the sheep are, are feeling and thinking and what they already have on their plate and not add to it unnecessarily. That's mm-hmm. certainly not my goal. Um, I want to be a gentle and humble leader. Mm-hmm. So I, I hear that it's a difficult season. Mm-hmm. I hear. I wonder if this question would have come up um, yesterday. I feel like maybe a little bit of the elephant in the room is that it felt like that series was over. (laughs) And uh, we were moving into Deuteronomy and then it felt like... um, Well, there's some more to to be said. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just wondering if that is maybe a little bit of where the question came from. I think that's a fair evaluation. You're not crazy. And I I don't think that... Maybe some people, maybe there is a, a sin issue with some people wanting to not talk about it anymore for a while. But maybe for a lot, there's not. Maybe it's just like, okay, dude, you had 18 months. Give me some time. Like, this is a marathon, not a sprint. You just yeah, took yeah. us on a sprint. You're summarizing I what I was to, saying. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, additionally, I will never forget what Brittany Steele said to the comment about, is it the right timing? When she said, my first child was born in April of 2020. So the timing's right for her. So t- again, in that case, I was yeah. like, for her, this is the time. Yeah. It's too late. You know what I mean? And so I think I, I, the point I'm making is that there's a, a diverse group of people in the uh, congregation in terms of where they are on this journey. And so some people you're going to be saying, they're going to be saying, you're, you've missed the boat on this. This happened 18 months ago. Other people are going to say, I'm not ready for this yet. I'm, my heart hasn't been stirred in the way. I mean, so that in and of itself is, is a difficult place to be because you're, you're addressing an audience, a congregation that's all over the map as well. So that's hard to, you can't be all things to all people mm-hmm. all the time. You just have to be faithful to what God's yeah. put in your heart. Doing my best. I, man, I, I don't blow by these concerns. I, I weigh them prayerfully and yeah. 
right. So this, um, so this next question, the beginning is kind of the same, like uh, whose idea was it? Well, basically kind of why are we focusing on race? But this question, um, but it also is asking whose idea it was. So whose idea was it for Kelly to focus so much on race? His idea, the elder board, was he influenced by Robert Steele? Is John Vanderbilt influencing him too much because John has black kids? I'll go first. Um, again, love the honesty, love the direct nature of the question. Uh, must admit that it feels to me that the question paints the leadership of GEBC in an unflattering light. Um, so it's a, it's a hard question to field because it, 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 it implies that there's the potential that Kelly could be unduly influenced or the elder board unduly influenced um, by a very few people. John, Robert Steele. Robert Steele is one of our elders. He, he's uh, an African-American man. And, and so um, it's a... It's a, it's a it's a question we, I don't want to blow by, but also I want to admit that, man, okay, um, it, um, it feels a, a little bit like, um, it stings a little. So Be before we dive in emotionally, can you let us know how the process goes when you choose a sermon series? Yeah, he's yeah. going to get it. I yeah. think you're going to get into that. So here. in the first sermon in the series titled The Beautiful Bride, it was January 16th. The Beautiful Bride was a three-week, was supposed to be three weeks. <laughs> it was a three-week sermon series on the multi-ethnic nature of the church and the beauty of God's design. All nations, races would be a part of his community. In that first series, January 16th, go back and listen to it. I laid out the reasons we were spending a season focused on issues of race. I'd encourage you to listen. If you, if you haven't heard it or you've, perhaps you've forgotten, here they are. I'll quickly summarize. The primary reason we spent three weeks is textual. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says, every nation, tribe, and people and language group will be a part of the kingdom of God. So the first reason is a, is a scriptural passion point that we see that, that every, every nation, language, and tribe will be a part of the kingdom of God. A second reason is the cultural moment. Over the last couple of years, there have been ongoing racial tensions in our country. And so we saw, back to John's point, you know, good preaching has the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other and allows the Bible to help us understand how to interpret the newspaper rather than the newspaper interpreting for us the Bible. But you're holding both of these. You're aware of you're in the world but not of it. And so there are some acute cultural issues going on. And then thirdly, many in our congregation and in the broader community were asking for the input of the church on this topic. And it was 18-ish, 19-ish months ago now that I said, well, I don't feel fully ready to address it. And the elder board took it up. They started reading. And so there was a process. Generally speaking, the board is not that integrally involved in sermon planning and prep unless it goes off the rails. Um, and then they'll, you know, they'll offer their input. Generally, it's, it's my prayer time. It's conversations with John and with other elders. Just generally speaking, what's on your heart? What yeah. do you believe the Lord? So, but this was much more intentional as the board was on a journey together. And the staff, as a matter of fact, were on a journey together in this response. So, um, 
the desire, here I'll wrap it up with this, the desire is for a gospel-centric ministry that can address, can apply the gospel to what's going on in the culture and can equip us, Ephesians 4.12, equip the saints for works of service. That's the call of vocational ministers. And I think of Matthew 25, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done to me. Did you visit me in the hospital? Did you visit those in jail? Have you cared for the marginalized, the sick, the stranger, those needing clothing? Did you, did you reach out? And, and so that is a gospel-centered response. God cared for us in our need. God's people care for those who are in need. So that, that was our heart for this series. That's good. Since I was uh, uniquely identified in the question, <laughs> so I'd be lying if I said the question didn't upset me to some degree, but maybe I'm reading more into the question asker's intent than I should, but anytime your children are raised in an anonymous podcast question, <laughs> your response should be a little bit like, hey, come on. Um, but I'll extend grace. I know many, many people are not comfortable with the discussion on race. Many people are looking for answers for their concerns. Why do I, you know, why are we doing this? Why This makes me feel uncomfortable. Maybe people are seeing that this is some kind of a big change, like Kelly has changed, or the sermons have changed, or, or whatever. You know, people, where's the gospel? We used to do the, you know, now we're, you know, maybe they see this as a change. And so I get it. They want to know why, where's that coming from? And, and, and so I, I want to extend grace um, I want to be really, really clear, though. <laughs> I, I am not personally driving an agenda on this issue. Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, I'm not steering, Kelly. I'm not telling you what to say. I'm not pushing something. I'm not giving you material. And Robert Steele is not here, but I would say the exact same thing for, for Robert um, truthfully, I'm learning and growing like many people in the con congregation, like many people. I, I am behind many. I may be ahead of some in the conversation, in the learning, but I am learning and growing um, along with many, uh, many of you. And of course, my, my learning and my growing and my experience in raising you know, kids that are, are black in a majority white culture and community, I mean, that certainly informs my learning and, and what I'm ex experiencing and who I am as a dad and a man and a, a pastor um, at GEBC. But uh, the issue, I mean, it's, a, and it's an everyday issue in my house, right? Like, and, and that it informs how I learn and how I grow and, and how I process. But um, but I want, I guess I want people to know that I do not have some kind of disproportionate influence on the elder board or on Kelly. My kids being uh, black does not influence the programming, the messages, the sermon series, the positional papers that are written at the church. I am one person. I have one voice. And truthfully, lately, I would say that Kelly has been uh, influencing me significantly. I, I've never gone on the civil rights tour and your experience in doing that and what you have shared with me has been hugely impactful in my life. The books that we are reading and are recommending as a congregation, I didn't choose those. In fact, I didn't even know most of those books 
until you brought them to mind. Hey, John, have you read this? Or have we, let's read this together. And we, you know, um, I am, I am not, I don't have an agenda. (laughs) I feel defensive in this, but I, you know, let me offer this. I'll be, I'll be a little vulnerable. To be honest, my children actually hate it when race is brought up on the platform at GBC. I was just wondering about this. They are two kids in a handful of people that are black in the room. And they feel like all eyes are on them. 250 eyes burning a hole in the back of their head as they sit in the front row with the youth group. And they feel signaled... uh, Singled out. Singled out. They feel pointed out. They, they don't want to, to have that feeling. And so imagine if you had a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, seventh-grade girl, and over the course of a period of time, the sermon applications were about how we should treat blonde-haired, blue-eyed, seventh-grade girls. Think of how your daughter would feel. <laughs> that is how my daughter feels. Yeah. Uh, and, and so... If there is an element in this conversation that is um, mean-spirited or kind of cutting, (laughs) uh, I would really, really encourage you to just pause a little bit. If this is in your spirit that this is, you know, that I have this intention or this agenda or that I'm pushing something, to just think think a little bit about their experience in our church and maybe just be a little bit more gentle and thoughtful. Hmm. Is that fair enough? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I wanted to, um, comment on just sort of the, uh, talking about, you know, why are we talking about race so much? Let's, we need to be preaching the gospel. Like, right. And Kelly, you've spoken a lot about that. Those two things aren't separate. Um, but I've been, I've been reading this book um, called Beyond Racial Gridlock. It's by a guy named George Yancey. He teaches racial relations, I think, at North uh, Texas. It's in Denton. Um, but it was re- recommended by a pastor buddy of mine in Dallas. And um, he brought up a great, a great point about uh, why the topic of racial reconciliation um, is unique from all of the other topics, right? Because that's some of the pushback we've gotten. And like, oh, we're not talking about this or this or this or this. And he cites, um, he cites uh, John 20, or 17, 20, yeah. right? Right before Jesus is, is sold out and, and arrested and um, uh, Jesus is praying and he's praying to the father saying, like, I, you know, I desire our, our, all, all believers to be one just like you and I are one. He's talking to the father, right? And then he says, and he doubles down and he says it twice, but he says, the reason for that is so that the world will know that you sent me. Right. In other words, like if, if we can figure this out mm-hmm. and reconcile our races and, and truly be one, just like uh, Jesus and the Father are one, right. that will be the gospel to the world. Right. That will communicate to the world that Jesus was sent from God. Right. That's what I tried That's, to say in my sermon takeaway. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Maybe I didn't do a great job, but like people are looking for the answer. Right. The gospel is the answer. We, if it's like if we're divided, that takes our power away. It, ru- it racism ruins our- in the body yeah. of Christ and a lack of unity ruins our witness to a world who is yeah. looking for hope on this issue. Yeah. So I, I, you know, 
that's, I would say that that's why this specific issue is unique from all other issues. Like, you know, because we get, we talk about abortion a lot. We talk about human trafficking a lot. All those things we need to, you know, uh, be fighting against and speaking out in, um, for and all that. It's just, it, uh, this isn't to elevate that, this specific issue above all the others. It's just to say this is unique. And by Jesus's own words, this has unique implications for the restoration of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why it's valuable good that word. we talk about it. It's a good word. Um, okay, let's go to, let's go to the next question. Why do you think the NBA has 23% black coaches and 75% black players, and the NFL had only one black coach. Also, what can the average DuPage County resident do to fight injustice? I have no clue. <laughs> do, do you think that this that they mean uh, to fight this type, kind of injustice or just injustice in general? I don't know. See what we can do. See if we can do both. So I, I don't know why the NBA and the NFL hiring practices are apparently different. That'd be a fascinating comparison. Um, as for, I'd rather spend my time. Um, I just don't have any area of expertise there. So I, I feel like I do have something to say on what the average DuPage County resident can do to fight injustice. The first thing I'd like to say is share the gospel. You cannot follow Jesus and continue to treat people unfairly. Mm -hmm. You just can't. So the gospel is a message of God's justice. So God who is rich in mercy did not condemn us in our sin, but sent his son to pay a price that we could not pay. God in Jesus' sacrifice both upheld justice, requiring that a blood be shed for the forgiveness of sin. That was the requirement, we couldn't pay it. And he demonstrated mercy. It's a beautiful story and a message that calls us to admit our sinfulness and calls us to to a lifestyle of mercy and humility is a message desperately needed in our day. That's what you guys were just saying. It is the message needed, one that brings justice. So I would say share the the gospel. I'd also say pray. Luke 18, uh, chapters, uh, verses 1 to 18, I believe, or it might be 1 to 8. But Luke 18 starts with a parable, uh, a story um, of God's unrelenting passion regarding justice. And he, the, kind of the summary of Luke 18 is of this widow who's not getting justice. And God says, persevere, keep on. You'll get justice and quickly. And so prayer is an integral part of justice. Um, So one of the big takeaways, uh, I think, for anybody following Jesus in in the fight for justice is to become a person of prayer and take those, those issues that we see of injustice in the world and, and pray. So share the gospel, pray. What else? I, I would say uh, give your money away. Uh, remember the example of the Good Samaritan. I would say serve the poor and marginalized. I, again, the Good Samaritan, he, he stops along the road to physically help a wounded stranger. I mean, that is justice. That is caring for the marginalized. This man had been treated unjustly. He had been victimized. And he is the moral hero of the story. 
Uh, he acts justly when the priest and Levite did not. And it's beyond just stopping to help. He pays out of his own pocket. I think of the Christmas season. Glowham Bible Church gave away $300,000 to, to ministries that are prioritizing uh, populations that are marginalized and minority populations. I think of our longstanding partnerships with caring networks, advocating for the unborn, IJM, advocating for the internationally enslaved. So it's all good. Good stuff. I think there's what you're getting at is um, our, our personal um, beliefs are to affirm, believe, pray about um, being people of justice, being in step with who Jesus was, but then also living it out in, in mm-hmm. practical ways because our, our lives are, um, it's not enough just to believe, like you, you know, said, but also to... We must also do. To do and, and to, to live. And, and I think that that's going to stretch mm-hmm. a suburban culture. Mm-hmm. It, it means changing our calendar and how we spend our time it means changing how we utilize our resources, our money. I was really impacted by a passage in Luke recently. Um, you know, help me with this, but I think it's it's in Luke seven, and it's when John the Baptist is in prison, jail, mm. and he sends word to Jesus and says, "How do we know that you're the chosen one?" I mean, he literally is asking this question, which is interesting because it's John the Baptist who literally like the Lord used to, to yeah. pave the way for right. the Messiah, and Jesus sends back word that he says, go report to John what you have seen and heard that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And I, I was a little bit struck by this thinking, well, how did John the Baptist not even know for sure that Jesus was the Messiah? And then the report that Jesus sends back is like, here's all the evidence. Here's all the things that you've seen. Here are all the marginalized groups of people that have been impacted by me, by the by my work and by what I've done. And it's blessed is he who does not take offense at me. So I love this question. I love the practical side of it. Tell us what we can do. How can we make a difference in people's lives um, who are facing, you know, injustice in their lives? And I think you've already said it so beautifully about getting involved and taking action. And um, I would just encourage the person who's asking this that just know that it's it's not just something to check off your list, but it's actually something that's going to draw you into a deeper and more intimate and more personal relationship with the Lord as you know Him and see Him. As this is this is His report. This is how He says. This is how you're going to know that I'm the Messiah is by doing these things. So you can start at the church, right? You've said this so many times, the care center and other ways. There are so many rich organizations in the area that serve marginalized people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's something, I, I would go as far to say that God has created something in you that will will bring you into a place of finding an abundant walk with the Lord as you discover what that is and what wrong you want to be a part of to help mm. make right. I love that word. That's a great word. Mm-hmm. That felt prophetic. Oh, well, good. Boom. Praise God. Prophecy. <laughs> uh, any thoughts on NBA, NFL, the oh, disparity? <laughs> that was the first part of the question. I mean, obviously we're not experts on, you know. Um, There's a lot of different takes. 
yeah, right, what's going right, on right, in the right. NFL and the NBA. I don't know enough about it. I just know that both of those organizations are very prominent in our culture. Like people follow those athletes, people follow those sports a lot, and those organizations are, of anything I would say is, they certainly are wrestling with this, right? And if, like, there's- yeah, the, the Rooney rule the, yeah, is right. a rule put in place by their governing, the NFL's uh, governance yeah. to try to overcome a good old boys experience right. among white mm-hmm. leadership. Right. And yeah. we had the drama with like mm-hmm. the Clippers a few yeah, years ago in the NBA and, and like all these sorts of things. I don't know enough about it. I would be speaking out of turn to say yeah. there's like a specific, you know, ruling or a specific solution. Or solu- a simple fix. A, sim- a solution is right, what I was right. getting at. I, I, don't, I don't know. But I just know that, they, <laughs> that they're a, there's some mess there in these two huge organizations that have ma- massive impact in our culture. Right. And uh, if, if it's a sign to us that if we're trying to say race isn't really a part of the conversation in our country anymore, why are we bringing this up? It's like, no, actually, <laughs> here's yeah. an example of the fact that, the, that, that it is an issue. And I mean, the NBA that's all and the I would NFL, take from it. The NBA and the NFL do seem different in that it, when, when a black man is... Uh, hired as an NBA coach, it, it's not major news. It's like, yeah, okay, Isaiah Thomas is, the, of course, he's amazing. Probably going to be a great coach. It's not, but if an NFL black coach is hired, it's it's a big deal. Yeah. Like it seems to get more know, more attention. Right. Yeah. And I think you you said it well in your sermon yesterday. Like it's just this at the very least, this isn't a good look yeah. for the NFL that there's only one black coach. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's incredibly complex. I would say it'd be probably a good place to start would have the would to be uh, to have more people of color in the hiring process that I mean I would just think that would probably be a good place to start um, but anyway uh, let's go to the next one I appreciated how the charge in Deuteronomy to judge fairly and not show partiality was linked to modern day applications of racial justice. I wonder if you considered expanding your examples to other key areas where Christians are fighting injustice, such as ending human trafficking, refugee care, advocating for the unborn, aiding persecuted Christians abroad, peacemaking in neighborhoods wrecked by violence, caring for the addicted slash mentally ill slash homeless, adopting or fostering a child, etc. <laughs> Just to name a few. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, if so, why did you choose not to include them? It seems that by connecting these topics together, we could better affirm where GBC congregants are already pursuing justice while still challenging our body to live out a deeper and richer version of it. I'll start by saying yes. I think you are right, the listener's right, that expanding examples of other areas of modern injustice and, frankly, areas in which GEBC is already acting for justice could be valuable and would have been appreciated by some yesterday. It seems that some at GEBC are tiring of hearing about the unique need for racial justice. And it's not my intention to exhaust the congregation. Um, Perhaps the timing of Sunday's application points was uniquely difficult, as Simone had (laughs) mentioned. we thought that the series on The Beautiful Bride was three weeks long. Um, and I made three more applications the following week. So I, I've heard from some that they, are ex- that they expected to be done with this series on racial justice and they were cut off guard by yet more examples. That's fair. Again, I'm not looking to exhaust the congregation. 
GEBC has for years partnered with International Justice Mission to stop human trafficking. We have been participants in refugee care and resettlement through World Relief. We have, we have been involved in caring networks who protects human life, advocates for the unborn, and have prayed diligently for the persecuted Christians around the world. We also have missionaries that minister in neighborhoods day in, day out, like the Roseland neighborhood, one of the most violent neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. I just, uh, during the Revelation series, mentioned uh, the Hinkle's work uh, of praying on street corners, mm -hmm. and there was a reduction in the number of shootings in the Roseland neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And we have a care center that monthly cares for guests who are under-resourced in our community. These are great wins for GBC. Evidence that the Holy Spirit's at work in us and through us as champions of justice. And for the better part of 15 years, I, uh, we have celebrated these wins and thank God for them. I certainly could have revisited them again yesterday. I, pray God, I praise God for the, that good work, his good work in us and through us. And I pray that there'll be more of that in the years ahead. All right, uh, let's go to the next one. I love that Glen Ellen Bible is willing to take on uncomfortable subjects. I'm happy that GBC is not shying away from discussing race in America. However, I'm struggling with the way that GBC is handling this topic. For example, most of the literature recommended by GBC leadership is from a viewpoint predominantly extolling the present day social political justice movements. There are, to my knowledge, none from those warning of the dangers of this type of thinking, both politically and for the church. Examples include uh, Vody, is it Bauckham? Bachman. Bauckham. Vody Bauckham's book titled Fault Lines and the Dallas Statement. I'm assuming it is because you don't agree with either source, but I would be curious to know why. Can you kind of, that's a long question. Yeah. Can you kind of... Uh, I've written some stuff out here. Let me, let me just try to make my way through it, okay? Um, thank you for your gracious question. You're right that the books GBC has recommended for reading don't fall within the camp of warning against the discussion on racial justice. Yeah. So there is a, there's a large camp of Christians, uh, and book writers, bloggers, commentators who warn against the dialogue we're actually encouraging people to have. I'm, I'm glad that was noted. I appreciate the listener raising this. I think it's a great question. Uh, there is plenty of literature available within the Christian community, uh, like Vody Bachman being one of those voices that warns against the potential division that a discussion about race can have in the church. And I'm praying that we're patient with one another and that division's not the result. For what it's worth, I find Vody Bachman's personal story compelling. For those that don't know Pastor Bachman, he is an articulate, well-educated, service-minded black preacher and black belt in judo. He lives uh, in Zambia. He is a butt kicker <laughs> in every respect of the word. The man, through Christ's power, has overcome amazing obstacles and has tremendously positive pulpit influence. He's actively battled as a black man racism his whole life, so I don't dismiss his personal experience and frankly enjoy hearing him preach God's word. However, after digesting Bogman's concerns on this topic, I haven't felt they have merit for Glenholm Bible Church. Here's what I mean. Vody has national and even international influence. He speaks broadly to a very large audience, and the concerns he expresses in his book titled Fault Lines are from, 
as he describes it, 35,000 feet. They're a, you know, aerial perspective of the church broadly. That's a valuable perspective, but one that can't possibly address what's going on at GEBC with any real specificity. For example, in the book, Fault Lines, he criticizes other well-known pastors for embracing elements of CRT, critical race theory, in their teaching and leadership. He, he says men like Matt Chandler, John Piper, David Platt, he names them, have bought into racial narratives based on trauma in the black community rather than facts about racism. And he's concerned that we are being led astray. I hear his concerns, I appreciate them, but find them unconvincing for Glen Ellen Bible Church. In other words, there may be merit in Vody's concerns at 35,000 feet at a national level. He has a platform that I do not have nationally. I've considered his concerns, but can't really speak to their merit. I just don't have his perspective. But it appears, here, here's the kicker for me, it appears that the effect of his book on many white churches is that they are not having the discussion at all on racism because they fear that CRT might infiltrate their church. In other words, it's shutting down conversation. A theory, CRT, which I find very few white believers can even define. In other words, it's been my experience that White Christians who read Bachman's books don't enter into the discussions of race because they're afraid that they may somehow mysteriously be infected by Marxism. I'll be honest with you, there's some pressure on me to stop talking about this because the implications are you're being unknowingly influenced by Marxism polit politically and CRT instead of focusing on the gospel. And so I, I can't speak to Vachman's concerns uh, at a national level. Here's what I'm sure of for GBC specifically. We have laser lock on the gospel. Are we perfect? No. But the gospel will not be forgotten at Glenelg Bible Church. It will remain front and center, frankly, it is the gospel that drives the desire to have this discussion at all. This isn't a pleasant discussion. This is a cross-carrying activity for me. And, and the fear, the fear of CRT that's keeping some churches from having this discussion is a miss in my opinion. So I closed my sermon Sunday with this statement. God, who is perfectly just, gave up his privilege to come to earth and serve those who had offended him by sinning. He showed mercy and humility and demonstrated justice by giving his life as a ransom for many. He upholds justice through his sacrificial death on the cross. God's people will do the same. We enter this discussion as a living, breathing testimony of gospel sacrifice, in my estimation. And 
Let me ask a question real quick because um, I don't know uh, Vody's. Right, I haven't read read what he's. Have you ever heard him preach? No, no. Wow. I'm looking forward. to The it. man can preach. He used um, to preach at a MBI. You have to look up oh, some really? of his old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, but he's in Zambia now. I think so. I think he actually he had a, he, he was a there for a problem. long time, and then he had a major health crisis. Is he from King Zambia? Uh, no, no. Oh, he okay. went from LA in He's, the inner city. Okay, but oh, he okay. he okay. Um, he moved to Zambia to lead a um, Bible college, Christian yeah. Christian college there, training up pastors and and doing yeah. that sort of thing. Is and then he had a health scare, major health scare, heart issue, and, and then flew they him home flew for him care. home for emergency. Okay. Um, so is this 35,000 foot view is, is, uh, is this, um, don't have the conversation at all, or is this don't have a conversation the way that, um, it's being recommended you have it? Uh, it's no Vody. He doesn't say not don't have the conversation, but it's having that effect. But it's, it's having that effect, so, right? So I understand so he, that, but I just want to clarify what is he what is he saying? No, he's saying racism's real. It's problematic. I've experienced it. It's hellish. It needs to change. But he he, he goes on to say he's, his worry is that the the church is unknowingly being duped into liberal theology. Gotcha. And and I want to go into that eyes wide open. I I don't want to be unknowingly duped. I don't know what I don't know, so I want to hear his critique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what it, the functional, I mean, I've had people hand me Vody Bachman books and, and basically say, you need to read this. Uh, you're unaware of this. And, and, it's, and the pressure is you need to stop talking about this because you don't realize CRT has been infiltrating your thoughts. If you realized it, you wouldn't talk about these things publicly. Mm-hmm. And it's just shutting down conversation. Mm-hmm. We, so... You address the book, I'll address the statement. Is that helpful? Yeah, that'd be great. So um, I read the Dallas statement. I'm sure lots of people have read the Dallas statement. It you made Google a, it. It made, yeah, it's got its own website. It, made it, it, it hit the world in 2018, largely led by John MacArthur and his church and organization and, and all that kind of stuff. I read it when it came out, and I actually read it again this morning. I do think, in large part, it's probably helpful. It, 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 there's a ton in there that, uh, that any believer, I believe, should endorse, support. It's interesting. The, there's a scripture, I think there's eight, state, eight uh, articles, and then there's a line at the bottom of them with all the scripture that informs that article. And many of the verses that are used are verses that we used for the, the Beautiful Bride series and things like that. So I do think that there's a lot of it that... that uh, me personally, GBC would endorse and support, but we have not wrestled with the statement as a staff, as an elder board, as a, and it is not our practice and not our posture, not our policy to do that. There are so many statements that come out nationally from all different types of contingencies in, in the country oh. and in the world on a variety of different topics. And we often will we'll read them, we'll, we'll look at them, we'll see how it's kind of influencing the, the conversation, the national conversation, but it's not our practice to, to sign things and endorse them. It, frankly, no one's asking so, us to sign anything. Right. <laughs> We're not that big of a deal. <laughs> um, but, and as great as the statement is, it is worth pointing out that it is, univer- it is not universally accepted and signed by everyone who is reformed and who is conservative, if that's the camp that we sort of live in. (laughs) So Al Mohler didn't sign the statement. Notable evangelicals have opted out. Yeah, and Mark Deaver didn't sign the statement. The Gospel Coalition, the majority of Gospel Coalition 
pastors and leaders did not sign the statement for a variety of different reasons. We don't need to get into all that on the podcast. I simply bring it up as my point is it's not like this slam dunk yeah. s- statement. There, there are, um, there's not universal. Well, and there's um, actually a backlash against uh, kind of statements yeah, in, it, in the call to sign, be signatories. Right. It, there's, yeah. So that, that's my, my takeaway on the statement. We want to stop and pause in our podcast today to encourage you to sign up, register online at glowingbiblechurch.org for the Be the Bridge book discussion. It starts February 27th. It runs on Sunday afternoons through March 20th from 3 o'clock to 4.30 on Sunday afternoons. These are leader-led discussions of the book. If you don't have the book, it'll be provided to you. If you already have a copy and you've read it, then you can bring your copy to the discussion, at which time it'd be free. So registration is just nine bucks if you need a book. We'd love to have you there. These discussions are really a terrific means to growth. So we want to encourage people to come out and, uh, and dialogue together on the, on the issues raised by Be The Bridge. All right, let's go to the next one. Um, I would love some clarification on what Kelly meant by saying God is privileged, especially given the context of the last several weeks in which privilege was described as an undeserved benefit. Did it stick in y'all's crawl when I mentioned I, that? It did. I didn't like it. I got to be honest. I did not like... No, I mean... I, I got Because you, you said it... I think you said it a couple weeks ago, maybe even. Yeah. Um, and I kind of... And, and so I've been chewing on it. And then when you said it yesterday, I was just like... I don't see view God as privilege because yeah. in my mind, privilege always means there is a, right. a class that's being oppressed and, oh, that, and that, and that privilege is given. And I'm thinking God is, he just is. He's all right. So let me define privilege. Uh, privilege is having a special right advantage or immunity granted or available to a particular person or class. And so thus God is in fact uniquely privileged and rightly so we can clearly say that God possesses special rights because of his unique, holy character, his divine power. In other words, being privileged is not always immoral. And I, I want to camp on this for a minute. Um, we justly grant certain privileges based on things like character, credentials, and competence. Uh, so... It's okay to have privileges in many, many instances. Privileges are the result in many cases of... A person of good character. Yeah, handling responsibility well. Like like a driver's license. Yeah, great. Thanks. Yes. Mm -hmm. Another example of privilege might be Israel's position in redemptive history, who was chosen by God to be his holy people. Israel's privilege, they're the firstborn, they're called as based upon God's sovereign selection of them. And their privileged position came with certain responsibilities to serve as a light to the nations. Remember, to whom much is given, much is expected. And so many people hold positions and possess opportunities that are privileged. That's not wrong. It's not wrong. What is wrong is when I have privilege because my skin's white. That's what's wrong. It's immoral because it denies that all people are, in fact, made in the image of God. So when I say the word white privilege, I am simply talking about privileges that come to us because of skin color. In Philippians 2, we read of Jesus' move to lay aside his privileged position 
in order to come to earth and serve. I'll read it. It's Philippians 2.5. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So this is the gospel charge. Approach life the way Jesus did, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He condescended by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man, being humbled. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, is privilege, how does it stick with you now? I still don't like it. Is privilege, because it feels like it has to be given. Privilege doesn't, isn't a privilege something that is given inherently. Like it's, no, I think privileges are earned in many, re, in many cases. Given. Not but every have, case. But they have to be given externally, right? Well, I, I get it. God is not me. We're not God. So his position of privilege is, is unique. unique to mine. It's very unique. <laughs> I mean, no one granted God. That, that's fine. That, right. That's what I mean. Like, but but couldn't, I just, couldn't I say he's privileged simply because he is God? Yeah. He has it. He has it. He has special. I mean, he clearly is set apart. He's holy. He's, you know, like. He's special. It's easier for my mind to wrap around that Jesus was privileged in the sense that he, you know, he. Because he laid like it down. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, otherwise, what, what was the point? He, that was but, the example. But did God the Father give Jesus his Trinitarian status? No. Yeah. He has just always been. Right. And so that's where I'm hung up. I think privilege is always given. Or unless we're going to redefine about, what a privilege is. Okay, well, feel free to redefine it. <laughs> what about in the situation where you're talking <laughs> about the privileged white man? Is it given in that scenario? Yeah. By the culture? Now, some would probably argue it was mm. taken. Mm. Right? Mm. Or just assumed. Which is why it's probably hard for some people to hear your what you said, I think, was not all privilege is immoral. However, privilege based uh, upon skin color is bad. And someone might hear that and think, well, I didn't choose my skin color. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's mm -hmm. not my fault I'm white. Yeah. No, it's not your fault. And mm -hmm. I'm certainly not, con I'm not condemning myself or others because of skin color. Mm -hmm. I'm looking to remove that bias. Mm -hmm. So it is not your fault you're white, but it is wrong. It's wrong when doors of opportunity are open to white people mm -hmm. simply because they're white. Mm -hmm. That's wrong. Yes, but that also, again, is I'm playing devil's advocate here only because you I'm, think, be I'm thinking. I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking what other. John, help me out too. But like, there is. Don't, um, I'm going to get coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I think people have a hard time wrestling with this, whether it's true or not, because again, you can't change the color of your skin. You can't help what color you're, you're born into your, you know, your, your skin. Um, you, are you asking people to give up certain positions and some of their power because of the color of their skin? Yes. Next question. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's where, I think that's the disconnect. What does that look like? Because some people are going to say, why would I do that? Because Christ no. did it. Oh, sorry. It's at yes. the heart of the right. gospel. He laid down his life mm -hmm. to serve us. He, he secured justice for us by taking our place. The nation, the globe will be best served when mm -hmm. the people of God emulate the person of God. 
Right. That's what I was asking you last week. <laughs> I was like, when you were like, when I said, what does and it I got mean? Some, and I got some feedback that my, my example was really weak. So that's fair. This is much better. <laughs> that it's emulating Christ who gave up his privilege yeah. for the benefit of the people he loves. So, so here's a, it's very hard for us, myself. And I think for uh, people of white uh, people to discern. It's hard to discern. What do I have? What doors were open to me simply because I'm white? Mm-hmm. And what, what did I actually merit? Mm-hmm. And I think those two are, it's very hard to unravel yeah. that. Yeah. There's identity wrapped uh, up in my, there. Uh, Sherry, I think what's Sherry. important when, when, when you start that conversation is to upfront say, I'm not implying you, that people in this room did not work hard in their life. Yeah. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. that's what people hear right mm-hmm. away, right? They go, so I just, mm-hmm. I didn't work hard at all. Right, and like your, your have, PhD was just given to you. Right. And nothing right. I have, like, I deserve. We're just right. canceling mm-hmm. white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not <laughs> that's not my heart. Yeah, and, that's and, good. And, I'm so and, glad you're clarifying. And, well, this discussion is it's hard, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I would yeah, I would offer that it is. I would say personally, so I'm I'm saying this personally. I go back and forth, wrestle back and forth, wrestle, think, mm-hmm. thought, but mm-hmm. read something, see something, interact with something, and I just. I personally uh, would not be invited to speak on white privilege Mm, (laughs) in mm. in a group of people because I don't fully know what it means for everybody all the time Mm -hmm. in in all situations. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea of privilege and where does the line in our culture, in our modern day come from, or where's the line between merit and privilege? That's a really mm-hmm. challenging conversation mm-hmm. sure. because there's individuals mm-hmm. involved. It's not mm-hmm. simply right. systemic, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It, and, it, and it people, has elements of systemic. And let's be honest, mm-hmm. people who are eight years old right now and people who are 58 years old have a very different experience with Absolutely. this because of mm-hmm. advances in culture yeah. and things that have changed. I mean, there's all sorts of things going on around mm-hmm. the word privilege, white mm-hmm. privilege, merit, mm-hmm. all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. It is a, we just need to be honest, man, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, there's a it's lot going on there in, f- in people's minds and hearts. Mm-hmm. I feel like it flares up people's defensives yeah. when they hear it. Mm-hmm. And so to hear you, uh, it, you know, unpack it a little bit more to say, it's actually a very beautiful thing to come to a place where no matter how much privilege you have, whether it's a lot or a little, to be in a place where you can you can you can surrender that for the betterment of somebody else for the sake of the gospel. That's yeah. a very beautiful thing to do, and I think that's because it's a triggered word. It's a triggering word. Whatever. Yes. Yeah. It, people's defenses just fly up and yeah, say, "Don't tell well. me yeah. that I can't do something because I'm white." That's not fair. I didn't choose to be white. But if you position it in a place to say, "No, it's modeling Jesus. Right. It's using the power." that was entrusted to you to serve other people mm. as an example of Jesus, that's inspiring to me. That makes me want to say, well, then Lord, entrust me with power so I can give it away for right. your sake and your kingdom. And just, I feel the, the burden to say, no one has to answer to me on this. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I, I, but people hear you talk about I it. I know, and it's... And it's, you have a, a, vo- a prominent I mean, voice. Right. Yeah, you're the strongest voice in our church. Yeah. But I just, so I want to say again, I don't pretend to be the Holy Spirit in anybody's life. That's, man, that's not a role I want or relish. I I try to proclaim the truth 
and call people to repentance and submission, as Simone, as you were saying, to Christ on, mm-hmm. on these types of mm-hmm. issues. So it's, it's between the believer mm-hmm. and the Spirit of God and that believer's closest friendships mm-hmm. to work through this. Right. And, and I, that's, that's where the growth has come in my life when I say to the Lord, all right, to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm-hmm. And Lord, what are you expecting from me on this issue of justice? Mm-hmm. All right, shall we go to our last one? We're hearing from some that they feel yelled at about being racist and don't feel they are racist. Can you address why, <coughs> excuse me, can you address why people might feel attacked when they hear sermons about racism and how that feeling might be misplaced? I'm sorry that people feel yelled at. I, um, that's certainly not my goal. So if, if I'm sharing in that, man, I'm, I don't want to share in that. So as I re- reflected on the question, I can think of a couple reasons that people might feel that I'm yelling at them. They may feel that because I, I have raised my voice over the last few weeks in, in passion on the topic. And they may be misunderstanding my passion for injustice as anger at the congregation. So yesterday, for example, I raised my voice in passion at it still strikes me as insanity <laughs> that the state of Mississippi included in their state flag the Confederate States of America flag. And, so, and they did that up until last year. This despite the fact that 83% of the state's residents identify as Christian. My point of passion was around the church serving as the pillar and foundation of truth in Mississippi My point of passion was my desire for the gospel's witness to be effective in America. So it might be that my emphasis (laughs) is being misunderstood. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So folks are going, we're not... We're not, I'm not in Mississippi. I'm not in Mississippi, Mm -hmm. and I I think that's bad, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're identifying that, is what you're saying. Yeah. People might also feel attacked. And and there's a catch for a preacher. Uh, Let Mm -hmm. me just... There's a catch for a preacher knowing when to, to modulate their voice and how to modulate. Sometimes I do that well, sometimes not so well. And so no one wants to listen to a monotone preacher. Uh, so we understand the need uh, for... <laughs> someone said to me, just to add a little levity. Is and before we, yeah, no, Someone said to me a little while back, um, you always end very like loud and you're moving around and everything <laughs> you should you should add a little of that to the beginning <laughs> <laughs> i think it's constructive uh-huh. criticism uh-huh. but I, I also feel like people are like we're, we're asleep halfway through oh. and then you wake us up <laughs> that's funny <laughs> so to your point right. you have to be uh yeah considerate in how you modulate your voice people might also feel attacked when they hear sermons about racism because they feel they're being disciplined or rebuked for something that they've not done or done, uh, or done wrongly. Um, thinking things like, I don't own slaves. I don't want to be a racist. Um, if that's the case, you should hear my sermons as passionate uh, applications, uh, these, these passion points as inspiration to keep up the good work. So in other words, if the Holy Spirit you know, is, is not convicting you of racism, then I would hope that you, you could celebrate um, and impassionately champion justice. I, 
I hope that it isn't simply individual application that we arrive at church for every Sunday. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. All right. Uh, people might also feel attacked because the work is, is a lot. It, it's a hard topic. It's one that causes deep and personal reflection. It can be hard. It can be uncomfortable. It can challenge us. I'd encourage us, if we feel overwhelmed, to take some time, talk to God about it. That's, that's how I handle it. Uh, when people come to me with words of challenge or words of a re- rebuke, I do my best to talk to God about them and to weigh them with my best friends. So on this topic of racial justice, I have acknowledged the sins of my white ancestors and I've prayed for justice. I'm not saying, I, I, haven't, I haven't said that I bear responsibility for my forefathers, my white forefathers. I, I'm not guilty of their sins right. and neither am I calling Glow and Bible Church to own America, the American church's historic sins. I am. I do believe there's value in lamenting sins of the past. So you're drawing a clear distinction between lamentation and guilt. I lament sometimes over my own sins, but I can also, and it's appropriate to lament over sins generally, take, for example, the pro-life movement, which Glenn Bible Church has been active in the pro-life movement, trying to save the the unborn lives of children for, I'm going to say, 15 years now. And... And we have no problem lamenting as a congregation, I think the number is 50 million children that have been aborted since Roe v. Wade, 1973. So we have no problem as a congregation lamenting the damage ending uh, pregnancies has had upon our country. We, even when we haven't shared in it, I've never shared in that personally. Uh, and don't I don't feel culpable uh, for other people's sin in that area, but I do feel the burden of it on our country, on our church. And so I lament, it's the same with this issue of racial justice. I'm not saying in preaching on this that, that I am responsible for, or that our congregation is responsible for what the church and the decisions, the church big, big C made in the 1700s, 1700s, 1800s. But I am calling us, I think it would be valuable for us to lament those sins, to be able to look at those sins and cry and acknowledge that it continues to have an effect on our country to a degree. Have we made strides? Yes. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. Is America, in my estimation, the best country to live in in the world? Absolutely. But we're not without fault. And a heavy dose of the Holy Spirit's revival would do us a world of good. Amen. I think that's really good clarification. Mm-hmm. I think it's really helpful to, to, mm-hmm. to clarify. Um, I think it's helpful to address where people may be, why people may be feeling this. And it's a good word. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, guys. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. That's a good one. All right, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate to text the Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and then also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. 
We, le- we love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the next level. Prophecy.